Okay, let's play word association. Oh God. <laughs> we, this is one of our favorite things to do at uh, at the summit every year with the panelists. Uh, uh, incentive, let's start with incentive. Who's going first? Me? <laughs> All right, yeah, incentive, answer, I would say, um, think Rapid about word association. Ah, I, I can't do this, <laughs> this is a terrible game. <laughs> Okay, let's start over. Okay, one word rapid association. I say incentive and you say depends. Oh. Overused. Overused. Okay. Um, programmatic advertising. Buzzwords. I'd say, huh? <laughs> Geofencing. I okay. like the buzzword one. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Trendy. Oh, she took it. You got to pick. You got to say something else, Jackie. Um, probably, uh, of course. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah, it's included. Yeah. That's the, like everything we do includes creating some type of geofence. Yeah. Um, how about traffic? Seasonal. Uh, up. That's the first word I thought of. <laughs> I love it. This is more fun <laughs> than I thought it would be. Um. <laughs> Hybrid sales. Expand. Exciting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and let's see. Last but not least, uh, Christmas break. Yay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> slow, I would say. Okay. So, I'm just yeah, slow. That was a real enthusiastic yay, Julie. We'll, we'll be glad <laughs> that your family doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 317. I'm Kevin Oakley. With me today is Julie Jarnigan and Jackie Lipinski. Woo! First time back. back. This maternity leave. I'm out. Back. I, I just feel like the kid in the window that's been looking at the, like, I'm just like, can I come back and come in? Like, obviously I love my daughter, but I'm like, can I be on the podcast and just like sneak in? Like I'm, I missed everyone. So we Glad called her ghost Jackie on the Slack channel. Cause she would just be there every once in a while. She would be lurking and she would At like 3 a.m. I'd be like, here's some stuff now. I'll see you in a week and disappear. So it was a good, it was a good. Did you harvest any tomatoes? That is I all did. Done. I didn't uh -huh. count them this year. I don't have a okay. fun story because I, I also grew I this. What this story tomatoes. Is for I'm not expecting yeah. a fun story, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> You've done enough fun stories on tomatoes. I think. That's fair. That's fair. All right, Jackie. Well, no pressure, but it's your first story time since uh, since maternity leave. So we're expecting something that is like something great. Four months. Four in the months May. worth of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No pressure. Well, one, <laughs> I would just like to say thanks to all the builder partners and obviously the teammates at DYC, Julie, Beth, and Kevin. You guys, um, you really filled in for me while I took off, and obviously appreciated that time, but. I'm sure as any parent knows, like you're just glad to be talking to adults again. 
So um, I'm like, let's do this. Let's get excited. You know, I, I feel like I came in, you know, full throttle and, and ready to, to get started. And, uh, and, and so I'm here, but my real story time actually has to do with, um, while being on leave, you know, your baby sleeps a lot. And my kid went to daycare. So I listened to a lot of, lot of books and I listened to a lot of marketing books. And I would say the biggest takeaway, you know, when you jump from book to book to book, about the best outlook and, and things to understand. And, you know, sometimes you don't need it repeated, but it, it's, it should be is understanding who your audience is and you're not making a product for everyone. And it made me think of this podcast, you know, like I think other people are like, Oh, look how many streams we had. Oh, it's like, we have X amount of hardcore fans that we communicate with. We have channels with, we email, and this is, this is for them. And when you think of your home and your product, like this is for these people, this is for these people trying to achieve this thing we're building. So, so don't forget that. And, um, I think it was, oh, I, I can't remember his name, but he, the, the term used was, um, the smallest viable market. And it sounds like a Seth Godin. Yeah, it was Seth Godin. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that was, that was like four months back now. Um, but Seth Godin, smallest viable market, and just making sure you're, you're not building a brand and a product for everyone. So top, stop pretending to. So Okay. So that, I love it. And it's one of the things I went to a conference that I've gone to for two years now that has nothing to do with home building. It's the only non-industry mm. conference that I go to. And it's, it's for startups and founders and investors and it's a whole different audience, but they're, they're one of the key themes was that founder led companies, um, like founders are the only people who stop doing something. Like as a company gets bigger, a founder is the only one who's be like, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're going to shut that down typically. Um, otherwise, everyone who comes into a company thinks they have to keep building and building on top of it. And the founder is the one who's like, no, no, this is our, this is our audience. This is why we were created. And because, you know, they don't get the same pushback or they just don't care. Like, this is the thing I started and we're going to stay focused in this direction really connects with that. And especially with me, because a lot of people give very good suggestions, for instance, about this podcast or um, things that they think we should do or ways that we could help other people. And it's not that they're not true, but like, you know, I think you could get even more exposure if you started bringing in these kind of guests and talked about these topics. And it's like, but that's not why we made this thing. Yeah. You go back and read the blog post from five years ago about why we made this thing. And that's, and, and so I think it's really hard um, even for any individual doing your own job to realize that keeping the focus on the specific reason why that job exists and who your audience, even if it's only an audience of one is, because mm -hmm. there's that pressure to do more, do it better, follow the trend. So yeah, I guess I, that, that resonates with me because a lot of times I feel like even personally, like I'm, I'm doing something wrong or I'm not mm -hmm. staying relevant enough. And then every, every time I get on a call with a builder, which is a lot, a lot of time, I'm like, oh yeah, none of that other stuff really matters mm -hmm. at all. Like we're doing what we're supposed to do here. Yeah. Uh, what about tips for figuring out who that like core audience is because builders comically every time we ask well 95 percent of the time we ask who's the target market um especially if an owner is on the call they will say people with money mm. kevin 
people with money. Any yeah. human being with money is my is my target audience. Well, I I mean I see the most successful builders usually have the clearest understanding of who their actual customer is because you know I I think you know we joke and we'll talk more about incentives but one builder I've seen they're like oh incentives incentives it's like oh actually fifty percent of our buyers cash buyers these incentive programs we are running and hyper focusing on solely that's not actually communicating with our buyers so. Um, sitting down with the sales team, sitting down, analyzing who your buyers were, who you think they are, and especially at different price points is, is, and talking to the online sales team and what's resonating with people and questions they're asking, I think is, is also helpful. Any other recommendations you make Kevin for helping discover your audience? If you're kind of confused. Um, yeah, but I feel like I've already talked a lot. So Julie, yeah. anything else you want to add first before well, I think this just, um, it's important to know what your differentiators are mm -hmm. so that you're not just chasing competitors. We would have this conversation at Idle Home sometimes. We would be trying to reach a price that another competitor was at that were really the price leaders in the market. And then we would have to step back and say, that's not our customer. You know, we build a better quality home. We offer this, we offer that. And um, I think looking at who your audience is means knowing what you're great at and not chasing these other things that are not that it keeps you focused in and that group of people who are going to be your customer. Yeah. I, I, that resonates really a lot with me too, because I don't think the best practice is to say, I'm going to define my best customer and then go like catch them with a net, mm -hmm. which you really are trying to figure out is what is, what is the innate gravitational pool that the mass of our organization has, uh, and, and pull, let, let, make discovery easy, right? Gravity is already pulling that customer in your direction because they care about the same things that you're providing and this and the way you provide it, but then making sure that discoverability. And that's, that's mm -hmm. why people, I think they don't know who they are or what they do better, or at least it hasn't been communicated down the organization to the people making these decisions. But it's not just shouting at more people louder. Mm -hmm. Yeah or just saying this certain price point. I was listening to a podcast um, about real estate, but but the used home industry, and the host was talking about how he always, he's a very conservative person. So he typically has bought homes that are like 30% under what everyone else in his world has bought. And you, you do the kind of some fake math on that. And that, that, would, that would be wild wildly different than what you would expect someone to purchase with that income level. And so again, it's just a reminder of even, even people with means don't all try to buy the biggest home they can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They're trying to solve specific issues in their life the best way possible for them. Yeah. What's important to those people. Mm -hmm. like all right, Julie, what about you? Yeah. So we live in a great neighborhood and um at christmas time they put out a red mailbox at the front of the neighborhood and if you put your letters to santa in the mailbox then santa will write you a letter back and i'm going to try to be careful but if you have kids in the car you know i might slip up but oh, so when santa writes you back my son got his letter he's nine he's still very much a fan of santa um when he got the letter you know, it was on fancy paper and it was signed in gold, Santa. But what really impressed him is he had asked for something that like had a big city 
Green's character on it. And the letter said um, the elves love Big City Greens. It's one of their favorite shows that they watch it. And he like lit up and he kept saying, that's how you know it's real. That's how you know it's real, Mom. <laughs> so just a fun story that reminded me like how important personalization is. That it's it can be packaged up and be beautiful, but it may not look authentic. But as mm -hmm. soon as you give something personal to that person, that's what makes them light up and what makes it feel real. And I don't think maybe someday AI and chatbots and all that thing will be able to do that, but not yet. You can tell the difference if it feels real and authentic because it's really personalized to, to what you had asked for or what you want and when it doesn't feel real. So it was just fun to watch because um, he was pumped about that. <laughs> That's so great. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Personalization is incredibly powerful, especially in online sales, especially in sales marketing for sure too. But I, I think that's where this focus on automation and the, I feel like the, the reason people really get excited about AI is this perception that they're going to be able to do personalization at scale. Oh, shoot. I wanted to, there was this great, um, someone on LinkedIn was doing their typical, like, follow me and I'll teach you the 35 tricks to hyper automate your workflow to mm -hmm. scale, whatever. And someone in the comments was like, sounds like this, this douche is trying to convince people how to use, uh, AI to like become even more impersonal. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I, it, it was, it was hilariously written <laughs> of like, who in the world would want this? Oh, it was about creating yeah. AI content. Mm -hmm. Uh, that that is meaningless and worthless to people, but the the yeah. amount of it's going to be amazing and the personalization of it. it's like who cares? You know, this we'll make a version of this blog post that only talks about cats, and this version only talks about dogs. And so then the person, and it's like, oh, anyway, personalization is important, but I think authentic personalization is something yeah. that still mm -hmm. we're really skilled as human beings at picking out. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, we can spot it. We can spot it when it's not real and when it's real. Mm -hmm. And a, a nine-year-old could spot it. Not saying that he thought AI was writing that letter, mm -hmm. but he was yeah. giving me all the reasons that he knew I didn't write that letter. Like he told me that yep. I didn't have a gold pin. So it's like we're <laughs> we're just ingrained to be looking for those things, like yeah. what's real, what's not real. And those are the things, those personal little things are the thing that made his brain say that that's authentic. Yeah. Um. I want to wander on this a little bit further. I think there's a direct correlation to humans being able to pick this up by the length of the piece of content. Hmm. Meaning marketers tend to, I mean, we jokingly say like, no one talks like this when you're reading something that they've written, like an email, like for example, you're like, humans do not talk in paragraphs uh, formatted in this way at all. Yeah. But if there's just a line that's like, help <laughs> or you're like, or you got a second or like the, it feels like that's the, that's the trick is to give just enough information, but not enough to be, if you're going to try to do some of this automation stuff, it's, it's really, really short prompts where there's not enough data there for you to filter through and be like, is this person actually talking to me or not? Yeah, not that that's foolproof, but I think there's something there. Yeah. And there's definitely the buzzwords that after you see enough of it, you just see the phrases and the words that just feel like chat GPT. It just, it doesn't take long. And I can't even tell you exactly what all those are, but I know it when I see it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we still, by the way, keep getting emails every once in a while from people that we've worked with for years uh, who suddenly <laughs> are using ChatGPT. Like, don't do not do that. Mm -mm. Or if you do it for something, just tell us, hey, I typed this into ChatGPT and here's what yeah. it spit out. Just like, like be upfront about it. Well, I'm going through email. resumes now for the two oh. open positions that we have. And you would not believe like... What's what's comical is they're using AI to write this like really personal, hyper personalized cover letter that doesn't sound real. It's overly flowery, overly descriptive, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Then you go to the resume and it doesn't talk at all about marketing. It's like fine arts major, you know, been painting for three years. And and you're like, what? So just I think again, use it for inspiration, but there's no reason to hit copy and paste. Or if you do at least, yeah. Yeah, make it. Have you all heard that ChatGPT has um, seasonal affect disorder as well? I, you, have you read I these did articles? hear that. Mm -hmm. No, I'm lazy it's, for the holidays. Yeah, it's getting lazy. Just like you know, hey, it's dark. Days are days are shorter. I'm just going to give you less work from me because I need a break. <laughs> that's that's it's. But I think what's funny is we're humanizing these things. Because instead, what's happening is ChatGPT hit a wall of usability. Like they they couldn't let people join. They let people make their own GPTs, like we did for this for our show, and it was overwhelmed. So I'm sure someone was like, "Hey, just try to work a little less." And and when immediately we're like, "Oh, it must be like a human. It must be like us." I just think it's hilarious how we like we know this thing's not alive, and yet we have to attribute human like qualities to it hilarious anthropomorphizing or whatever is that what it's called mm -hmm. okay uh, my story time man there's always it's it's like a war inside my head for where i'm gonna go here um okay well i think first of all we have several builders that we're starting with in the new year and that's been that's always fun we, we love this time of year because everyone's looking at their budgets and planning for the next year and we're, it's, it's ridiculous, which we have two open positions for a reason, uh, because the growth is still going, but several people have commented during the conversation process that they didn't know we provide marketing services. <laughs> so, you know, oh. my first thing is like, again, we must suck at what we do. That's a joke kind of, cause we intentionally don't sell or over communicate on the podcast, but on one of them, like this person was like, oh yeah, we like I've I've been to the summit, um, I've I, I've listened to the podcast <laughs> for a long time, and you know so I'm I'm going through my mental checklist. I'm like, well, what else what else could I do? We could we could like create a, a internal social network for marketers to be able to. Well, we have that DYC all access. Uh, I could write more for like major trade publications like Builder Magazine. Well, I mean, em employees of ours could win forty under forty awards and uh, write books. Uh, and yet all of that, it's like not getting through. And I always, it, it kind of goes back to what, what you were saying, Jackie. It's like, okay, if you are a marketer, that's not, not connecting with kind of, I've said this for almost since the podcast started, I can't believe there's as many weird people like you listening to this. When we look at the stats, there's not 500 marketers who really pay attention closely. I'm convinced. There's maybe, you know, 75, but for the 75 listening, if you could just help us out and, and uh, not because we actually don't necessarily have the capacity to bring on 
a lot more people next year, but maybe you can just let people know, like we actually do marketing services. In fact, we're, we're the largest digital agency in the industry mm -hmm. uh, in terms of dollars managed and, and what we do. So I guess I wonder that's what story. they thought we did all day. If this is just what we did all <laughs> I think day, they, we only yeah, got well, this kind of week. stuff. A lot of it was, well, I know you're mm -hmm. all really smart people. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's a lot of the comments of the people coming over is like, Hey, as we always ask them, what, why are you leaving your current relationship? Okay. Those nothing really bad. We just, we want to work with the best because we really want to grow more next year or whatever. So I, I think there's a general acknowledgement that we're not incompetent, which is great. Uh, but I think their fear is that we're just going to talk to you and and then not help you do anything. I, which is my, still my favorite interaction with a builder was it was like two weeks of working together and I get a phone call and the marketer goes, what did you do? And I went, what did I do? What do you like? Can you expand on that? And she's like, everything is going great. She's like, our leads are coming in like incredibly more qualified. Our ads are doing this. Like, what did you do? And I was like, I explained like what we were going to be doing. And I think she just didn't like, you need to see it to believe it sometimes. And so I'm like, I'm excited for all these new builder partners to, to, to see the why. Yeah. And so word of mouth. Yeah. Market, Kevin. It'll be fun. Uh, the other thing kind of goes with the, and I've talked about this before, and I'm, I am kind of glad that I'm becoming well-known for this programmatic advertising, um, is I think it's the last bastion of high margin ad sales that exists in the world right now, but it goes off this idea of personalization to an extreme level. And I heard someone give a talk this past week um, at a in-person event that I was at. And they were talking about like changing TV creative to only show a version with cats in it to people who like cats and only show a version. And, and maybe that's where AI and the promise of AI gets there. But here, here's what I know from the amount of time I've been doing this. No one has, no one has uh, 30 different versions of a 30 second TV spot. They don't. So to your point before Jackie, like you have to know who you're trying to reach and limit the variation. And then the other thing that cracks me up about all these promises of hyper-personalization is that I still get ads for makeup on all of my social channels because there are three makeup purchasers in my house. Kendra Scott, don't know what it is, don't know where it came from, but I get ads for Kendra Scott all the time. The other day, my wife asked me again for maybe the 20th time, she or didn't ask, she made a declarative statement. I just can't stand how, how they're listening to us all the time because Wheaton College I'm getting ads for Wheaton College and all I did was talk about it with someone else. And I, and, and I said, let me walk you through this once again. Are you going to Wheaton College? No, I'm not. Are, has Avery, our daughter, talked about Wheaton in the past? Yes. Why? Because her boyfriend might go there. Okay. So one, devices are in proximity. Devices in proximity is the number one signal. How much proximity? No one really knows and probably varies by how many people you, you want to target in a given campaign. But all the, the later that day, I go on my daughter's laptop, look in the history, and she had talked to her boyfriend who had just visited Wheaton. She had gone on her device, looked up Wheaton College information, and then wham, everyone in our household, of which only one in the next two years may go to Wheaton College 
all of the other ad impressions that are hyper-targeted are being charged a premium for that personalized targeting of which my nine-year-old and now 11-year-old as of yesterday, are you, do you really want to pay a 35% cost per click premium or a 50% higher CPM rate? Or actually it's probably 300% higher CPM rate. Like how programmatic just drives me crazy when people talk about it. It's one of those things that it's so easy to sell and get people excited about because they can, like we've seen Minority Report, we we understand like conceptually these technologies exist, but in practical application, I think it's almost, am I, am I going to say it? I think it's almost worse than radio or television on its own. I think it's almost worse. And it tends to be peddled by the same people who used to sell radio and television, which should have be another signal. Anyway, I just can't, can't stand the stuff. Yeah. And we're in home building. It, it's different as far as Facebook and all those things and all the targeting um, that we can do is very different too than what some, you know, Coca-Cola or someone else is doing. So um, it's understanding our industry as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were talking about this earlier today too. I'm almost done with my little mini rant here. The other comment that was made was that e-commerce is where we should be looking as an as an industry to what we can duplicate and, and become more like them. And I think there's truth in that to a, a, a large part, but from an advertising perspective and from a data perspective, e-commerce has, and Andrew and I have talked about this a lot in the past, so we'll keep it short, like a hundred times, a hundred times, which is a lot more times. It's not plus a hundred a hundred times more data to analyze around something. Because if you're Coca-Cola or a jeans company or a purse company, the amount of data there and the speed of the decision-making process informs things differently than, what, yeah. than where we are. Um, okay, I'll, I'll save the rest for another day. That's, that's what I got. All right, uh, on to the news. And uh, first up, we have a little, a little uh, blog post little from blog. Jackie. Are you guilty of incentive whiplash? Yeah, so which I think... has kind of an e-commerce tie-in. So there you go. <clears throat> yeah, this this stemmed from uh, an email a builder had gotten from their sales team, and it was like, we need to be doing more. And I was like, well, what is like, what is that? What is more? And they're like, well, we need to push our incentive. We need to be emailing constantly. How many emails are we sending? Marketing needs to be doing better. Uh, go. And she was like, what? what? And, and so I think it's also a zoom out of having a conversation with sales, but also realizing, like you were saying, Kevin, there might be some similarities with e-commerce and new home marketing and sales, but we're not the same industry. And some stats I even pulled, you know, from Amazon, our average price of a product on Amazon, $142. And 50% of the people buy a product on Amazon within 15 minutes while it takes home buyers mm -hmm. four and a half months, according to Zillow, to buy a house. So these sometimes sales teams or marketing teams with maybe not enough um, grasp of pushing incentives and, and blowing people out of the water and alerting them of all these deals. Like you have to realize this runway is longer and we can't have these Black Friday deals, true story, um, without a more context and yeah. more planning as a team behind what we're, what we're trying to achieve. I want you to tell the story, mm -hmm. um, from, from the post about the purse, but before oh. that, 
yeah. How many per, how, how many homes have you purchased uh, or lived in, Julie, since you've been an adult? Oh, gosh, too many to count. Probably eight. Okay, Jackie? Three. Okay, I don't know mine either off the top of my head, maybe four or five. Um, how many of them were impulsive, quick decisions? Mm-hmm. Where, like you, you didn't, where an incentive... Did any, well, I guess that's the first, did, did any of them include a giant incentive no. when you purchased them? No, get out of here. You guys are lying. Well, I, I yeah. home, uh, an employee discount. Does that count? Okay. Um, <laughs> no, because <laughs> that, well, I guess, I guess, uh, I mean, maybe, that's but a even, if we, even if we throw that one in there, that's one of, you know, a collective 15 ish. And yet I think the mentality is that. 50%, 60% of all homes sold are sold because of some incentive or discount given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It strikes me as odd. Okay. It, and, and, and that was, and that was community. So the purse story that kind of um, helped me visualize this is I, I needed a new purse, um, went to a website. It was $200 and I went, okay, that's, that's too much. I'm going to sign up for email alerts and I'm going to sign up for text messages. I got a text message, hey, $25 off. So now my purse is $175. Okay. Then I get an email alert that same day. Hey, your purse is now $100. And now with a coupon, it's going to be $75. I'm like, great. But like, oh, okay, but I'm, I'm going to wait a little bit. I don't need it right now. Then I get an email the next day that goes, hey, that purse you were looking at, that was $200 and then $100 and then $75. Now it's $50. And instead of going, gee whiz, let's, let's buy it. I was like, what's wrong with the purse? Like what? Like I eventually did buy it, but I, I, I had like a lot of doubt with it. And it also kind mm-hmm. of tarnished the brand for me because it was a, it's a nice brand. It's a nice real leather purse. But, and then I was thinking like, wow, some builders approach marketing this way. And they think that the value of the home is going to be there. Like you go on Zillow. And if you see a house slowly go down and things slowly being offered in discounts to that house. You don't go, wow, I got a great deal. You go, what's wrong with that house? And I think that's a big thing when people are thinking about incentives and how their sales teams are approaching them and how information can be perceived. We have to remember that a a new home is a luxury item and it should be treated as such. And there has to be a balance of how someone wants to be communicated. And the balance also there is that incentives are best used for people you're already talking to. Obviously we can use it as an email program, get new leads in, but where it's going to be most successful, especially in a small time frame that you're trying to achieve is working with people who are already in your low sales funnel. So that's, yeah, I think that, I think the big thing there is, well, there's lots of things, but the one that really sticks out to me is just waiting to see, um, we talked before about the lag mm. effect and from the time you communicate something to your audience, it's going to take, depending, I mean, the higher up the funnel that in that customer journey, the customer is, the longer it's going to know whether that worked or didn't work. So unless you're talking, if you send something out to just your top 10 prospects for a particular sales rep, you probably only need to wait about 72 hours to know whether that worked or not. But that doesn't mean you should send another one out immediately to all 10 versus making sure that you've made contact with all 10 as a salesperson to really understand where where they are. Because you don't, to your point, you don't want to have to really do a third incentive. If you come back with a second new option, 
you want it to be, wow, we have like built-in themes being created, hyper-personalized their individual situation. Yeah. When it comes to promotions too, I think historically my statement has been promotions are an admission of guilt by ownership that your product does not hit the market correctly as is. And that's kind of a little poke at owners and, and people setting pricing of, hey, this is also your, like your appointment to sale conversion rate is partly on you. Sometimes majority majority of the of the fault is at your at your feet. The financing incentives are maybe the one we kind of fell into that one as mm -hmm. an industry of like oh here's a here's an incentive that removes a hurdle to purchase for, for yeah. and affordability, but changing it from well it was we were at six now we're at five and a half now we're at five it still does the same thing you're communicating of like well why can't they just give me the best thing. Mm -hmm. Or just yeah. admit like, Hey, we have incentives available, but the right incentive for you is going to happen in a one-on-one -on -one conversation to find out. Because there has to be a, a particular house you want. If you didn't like, if you hadn't picked out a particular purse at all, those incentives wouldn't really have helped. Yeah. There's, there was a purse that you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of the article was where you said, if after they sent the first discount, then they had started sending me things on why the quality of the purse, yeah, how great the it purse was, why it was worth the price. Um, I love that because, yeah, that's what you needed. Then you needed just encouragement that, yeah, you were making a good decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if yeah. there was like a video of them like hand making the purse or some kind of detail, mm -hmm. I would have been like, mm -hmm. absolutely swipe. So. Yeah. Or the story about the responsible, sustainable methods, the giving back to yeah. wherever it was put together a certain amount of money. Cause then you're like, well, I don't want to screw out, screw the, the, the women in the villages putting this purse together from yeah. making the, the wage that, that they need to make. I think all those things are true. I love the, um, the reality too, that there's a whole bunch of people who do not check their personal email on a regular basis. And so you kind of alluded to this too. It's 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 really possible that someone opens up their email and has three emails from you, all of which have been unread. And now you do look like a certain type of, you know, psychopath. <laughs> like it changed I haven't even read your first message and the and the offer's already changed two more times. Yeah. And then you keep texting me. It's like a crazy, like we went on a date, like calm down. So I love it. Um yeah. Okay, we'll move on to the next one. But first, I just want to show you all real quick. This is from Home Builder Data. The blue mm -hmm. line is lead uh, lead activity, and um, it looks like it spiked back up, but that was just for a single day, and, and we're we're back down. And that's just the pronouncement. Quickly again, we've been talking about this with our builders for about a week or so. The year is over, and a lot of people kind of understand that conceptually. But from a new lead perspective. The tipping point is clearly on the, you should spend less dollars trying to focus on getting brand new people in the market right now. If your sales team is still saying, marketing, you've got to get us X number of new leads this year, or we're not going to hit our goal. They need to enroll in something uh, or read some articles that we have to understand the year is done, right? Mm -hmm. if, if that person is not already in the middle of the funnel or, or way past it at this point. You're not, you're not hitting those sales. All right. Next up uh, on the news, Redfin introduces Redesign, an AI-powered tool that lets you redesign listing photos. And for those of you uh, watching 
the video. This is what that looks like. Uh, on the left-hand side of the image is the kitchen as it sits. And then on the right-hand side, or as I'm sliding it back and forth, is the floor color that I'm able to visualize. It's also changed the countertop to a, to a darker color as well. Um, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. It's a little janky, as they say. <laughs> but what do you all think about this? If not the specific, maybe the specific way it is now, but then also how or should builders consider things like this? Well, I, I know we've been talking about this as like a, a product to keep people on your website for a long time. And I do think, you know, for builders who maybe don't have the product yet, it'd be also a fun tool and obviously setting the expectations of what's going to be there. But in terms of the resale world, I also think it simplifies what's actually perhaps a very difficult project. So, but it, it does make you fall in love and be like, okay, like, you know, we can live in this home for a couple of years. I hate the kitchen, but if the defining thing about the kitchen is these details, like look what it could look like. And, and you do have a game plan. So I, I think it's a fun tool. I think it's a great tool to, to roll out. And I, I would love for builders to kind of have this feature. And I know some do, um, but, but I do. Well, I, I think they have visualization options for, yeah what a new home could be, but it's like all, um, artificial visualization versus this being an overlay on top of something that actually exists. Like, I don't, I don't think in, if for a quick move in home builders aren't going to necessarily love conceptually, I don't think this tool of no. let's swatch up, let's swap out the cabinets and the countertops, but wall color. Yeah. Uh, anything related to paint really. Why, why would you not? Or, and or I, people I, who have, you know, if you build the Woodside floor plan and you build it so many times and you have it coming up and there are still things that can be changed at a certain time in construction that can be an item added to your website of like, you know, we have, this home is going to be built by the end of the year. Here are the things you can change. And then maybe, you know, take that tool off or yeah. vice versa, but it, it can, I think if selling pre-sales is your problem and you have built that floor plan before it, I think it'd be a worth wild tool to, to have at your hands and disposal to entice people to get in. Well, I did have one interesting response from a builder. I was talking about one builder with this and she said, you know, we keep looking at visualizing tools and thinking we're going to add them and we haven't done it because it's just going to the time commitment and it's going to be clunky and we have so many plans. And she was like, at this point, I'm just going to wait until AI can help me more with this. Um, after she sees things like that. And I, I mean, I think that's a fair point now that we're seeing more and more what kind of things can be done. Um, it is getting harder to make a case for going back and doing that really labor intensive work of some of those visualizers when you have a ton of plans and a ton of things. We still talked about the case. You could just do it on your most popular plans or a few things, but um, yeah, hopefully it gets easier. Yeah, hey, I want to show you all some of this because um, there's a company... Um, this is one of their products, which I, which I have pulled up reimagine home.ai is the, is the URL. But I think this is one example that is awesome. So what it is, it's an image of a home under construction, and then you can use that picture of just, it's in framing and there's some windows in, and you can slide across and it shows you what that home is going to look like mm. when it's done. And there's something about the fact that the visualization follows the roof line or the, 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 the lines of the framing exactly where it, it looks like 
like you're, you're unwrapping it or wrapping it, I guess, depending on which way you're sliding it. There's something really powerful about that. I think the same thing with furniture of to, to have on all of your quick move in homes. Again, you might not want to show different flooring or countertop options for a house that's already existing, but to show, um, to me, it's like a style of furniture. If you could at the beginning or in their account when they make one, which we've talked about the reasons why you should do that many times. Uh, once you create a personal account, you could say, this is the type of furniture I have, or this is the type of furniture I like, and then be able to view every photo on that uh, builder site with that kind of furniture on or off. Another one that Jeff Turner and I talked about, gosh, almost six years ago is, why can't I upload pictures of my own family or my favorite imagery and have, you know, the artwork on the wall or the thing on the side of the bedstand be my family or my favorite image? And just things that allow people to, because ev everyone knows who's built a house, especially like you're trying, you're trying to kind of live there mentally. The excitement's mm -hmm. so high before you ever get there. Yeah. But yeah, I think good job. Redfin has always pushed forward. Uh, their website is one of the best websites uh, experiences kind of universally agreed to by by those in the industry. And I I, I think this is awesome. Uh, continuing innovation on their end. It's not perfect. It doesn't apply to everything. But for the ones that do apply, there's just a net, now a little button that says redesign. Then it takes you to the photo gallery. You pick the picture you want and then you can change uh, things out. I'd love to see if their time on site, like what their time on site change would be from that. That would be interesting data to have. Yeah. I think just even the the time I'm sure is better, but for a used home where so many people already have this idea of, I'm going to go in and change stuff anyway, because I wouldn't have picked that carpet. I, like it just seems like an absolute no brainer for a, for a used home to have that kind of functionality where more or less time doesn't really matter. It might make you consider a house that you can't get over now because man, that green carpet just mm -hmm. can't do it. Yeah. Next up also from Redfin, uh, Redfin News. Today's Fed meeting brings good vibes for home buyers, pushing mortgage, rate, mortgage rates below 7% for the first time since July. Um, yeah, I saw another article, the average mortgage rate yeah, dropped to 6.8% after the Fed meeting minutes, they're going lower too, as we record this on Thursday, the 14th. And uh, the Fed decision yesterday showed that the majority of people on the Fed uh, think that there will be three additional rate cuts in 2024 as well. So as long as the trend is heading that direction, everyone's really excited about it. I think it's mostly good. I don't really want to get into the potential negatives right now. We'll stay positive. But what would you all think? About this I mean, one. I liked the note about obviously it can bring more houses to the market. I feel like a lot of people just, you know, officially were like, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm, I have the time and I will wait. So if something can bring it down or they see like, maybe it peaked at, you know, around eight and now they can, now they can financially afford more in the six range. Um, I think that'll be exciting, especially like the move up buyers who want to do that and leaning into their, um, their equity as well in their house mm -hmm. too that forward movement. What do you think, Julie? Yeah. And I like the combination that this is happening right when we're about to go into that mm. stronger 
January market usually. So the combination of the two hopefully will get us a little momentum the first few months of the year because that's always what we want to see. We don't want to feel behind after the first few months of the year. So if this combined with, you know, that just normal seasonal uptick, hopefully that um, brings good things. Yeah. Have you all heard about the vibe session? Have you heard that term before? <laughs> no. It's where like, we're not really worse off necessarily as countries, companies, or, or individuals, but the vibes are off. Like we just mm, feel yes. pessimistic yeah. about yeah. life. And so we're in a vibe <laughs> session. Uh -huh. And so I thought it was interesting. They said consumers vibes about the economy should improve next year. And I think that's generally true. If there's something that still kind of concerns me, it's it's thinking about the amount of toilet paper that is in your average Costco uh, building. If you go into a Costco and you think to yourself, man, there's giant piles of toilet paper here. And then I can see the entire back wall to the ceiling is full of pallets also containing toilet paper. And yet that fast, there was no toilet paper in the world for weeks on end. And so the the trick is that the Fed is not just trying to um, kind of get inflation to come down. They're trying to prevent whiplashes in the economy from occurring. And supply is supply and demand in home building are things that can change way faster than most people realize. They think it's a slow trend, um, but we don't we don't want a big giant supply of homes hitting the market because rates have come down and everyone's like, yeah. and I, I can't, maybe I just know a bunch of miserable people. It's entirely possible. Um, but I think I told this story last week, this family that bought a house that they didn't see, it was over a million dollars along a freeway. And now they're in the home and they are realizing how much noise comes from major roads and freeways. Mm -hmm. And they like broke down in tears. Like, what did we do? No, oh, no. And so I just think there are a lot of people who still don't love their situation or the stress of needing to make a change just keeps building and they're putting it off. And so that's, if there's anything I'm a little bit nervous about, it's a, it's a snapback kind of effect. I think it'll still, I mean, builders still are going to have, I mean, what, so we're going to offer like 3% interest rates have been out there, a little on the rare side. But at, if, if rates do get back down to, let's just say four and a half at some point in the near future, since you're the queen of incentives now, Jackie, or That's at least true. until someone else write an, writes an article about it, what do you think the next incentive is or should be? Because I think at, at some point, the buy down's not going to make that much of a difference in the payment. Um. Well, I think like you said, ideally you don't want an incentive, but I think everyone's kind of looking for the hook to get the people in. That's not just stumble upon our website and find your perfect home. We're, we're trying to catch them a little bit like they're a fish and the incentive is the net that, that brings them on over. Um, so in terms of incentives, you know, I've seen people, they're going back to weird ones though. They're like, oh, well, you can have furniture. Oh, we'll do your washer and dryer. And it's like, shouldn't you already not the furniture, but th there are certain things that I think there's expectations, but I also think maybe some things were taken away and people want those, those back. So yeah, I, I don't know if there's a perfect answer for what incentive to lean forward in, but just, you know, making well, the, you, you hit it, you hit it. The, 
Yeah. The, the best answer is no incentive. But I think what is most likely to happen if builders still need to use something is actually just price reductions. Yeah. Because uh, if you've seen the charts of the average, the average price of a of a used home today is I think five sixty, around the country, and the average cost of a new home is actually below uh, that. That that chart I shared a couple of days ago. I think that's uh, mm. that's the case. But if if more homes come on the market, builders will have to respond by, you know, if if interest rates aren't the difference maker. Like I heard um, Meritage's CEO was interviewed on CNBC and said more or less. You don't have to go listen to the interview because here's what he said: If we have finished inventory and we buy down the rate far enough, these homes just sell themselves. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what he said. But when interest rate or the financing of the home is no longer a big deal, I think it's going to end up being price or options, um, like free options or price discounts that people use. But again, yeah, don't do any of it. I mean, lower interests are good and they're going to excite people, but obviously we will have more resale to compete with. And I think that's, you know, zooming out and remembering that while home builders, other home builders are competition, our number one competition is resale homes more, more so than not. Well, it's going to be opportunity to say you settled in 2020 because there was, you were trying to buy a house fast mm -hmm. and what was available and you got stuck in it. And this time make a good choice, <laughs> get something <laughs> you're going to stay in. That's going to last for a while. Yep. Oh, okay. Here's, this is a good reminder too. Um, next up from Inman.com. Uh, Zillow unveils a 3D tour of Santa's enviable North Pole luxury cabin. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's $1.18 million and you can go inside and check it out. Not that we're hyping Santa's house necessarily, but I think it's, you mentioned this about, um, Taylor Morrison's design, uh, press release a couple podcasts uh, ago. Mm -hmm. Julie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just great. Like what prevents any builder from saying, if Santa built a house with us, here's what it might look like and getting some press on the local news or with local bloggers uh, or just sending that out as an interesting thing to, to send out in a, in a monthly email to people. I think, you know, good, good on Zillow, but also it's a, it's a great example of anyone can do this stuff. I thought that was a great point that you made about the, the Taylor Morrison piece, which is, which is why I put it in there. And then the other thing, <laughs> sorry, Zillow, we're done on the, on the Santa's house. Um, I think you were on the episode about the the article about um, why Americans don't innovate like marketers around the world. Yes, and and yeah. it was hilarious listening to you and Andrew, and you're all like, "We don't know why this is in here, really." Yeah, I was like, "Who kind put this weird... article in here?" It was yeah, you. that was my fault. So I do want to go back to that, and and the the premise of the article is that like all the innovation and marketing is coming from other places around the world. And that marketers in the U.S. are boring and stodgy and and overly focused on data and metrics. And what I, to me, I, I think he's he's incorrect. But product marketing is such a bigger deal internationally, meaning the the marketers are involved way earlier in a project, mm -hmm. and they're manufacturing reasons to talk about them, about those projects way in advance. And it's not just like, Hey, let's have a dog park or let's have uh, a sled riding Hill or a neighborhood library box at the entrance of the community. A lot of these are just marketing being involved 
in things beyond advertising. Mm -hmm. And I think that allows you to be more innovative when from the beginning you've been planning to have this unique aspect to the, to the community or the, whatever the product is. And then the other thing is from uh that's the glass half full side, the glass half empty side is that international marketers tend to have no understanding at all of attribution. Like they're back where we were in 2001, 2002 of like, you can't know anything. So what's the point? Just spend millions of dollars, more hype, the better, more virality, the better just become known for being known. And of course, I think the criticism is, is correct that I feel now in our industry, we're actually going too far towards attribution. And that that does cause a little bit of a lack of creativity and a lack of thinking outside the box and an overly uh, hyper-focus on, I just got to get leads. Are they yeah. quality leads? I don't know. I just need, I need leads. I need the metrics to look good. So that's. Yeah. It's like that back and forth between the brands and story, like that's needed. But if you're not getting leads and sales at all, the brand and story don't matter. But then if you go so far to just focus on, you lose all your brand and story. So um, yeah, it definitely is a, is a balance. But the article- Azana just did a, just a luxury, <laughs> um, like a luxury high rise event of some kind. And they're like, we're trying to get ultra high net worth individuals to buy four and $50 million condos in major Metro areas. Like yeah, you can't, I mean, to that, to that, to that point, like you're not, you're not going to spend uh, $15 million on Google ads. Yeah. So part of it is like, you do have to have these other things that are more mm -hmm. creative and more attention getting, but so I, I get it. I just thought it was interesting to hear someone yeah, try to take such a strong stance about Americans being <laughs> uncreative. Well, okay. So I know we're going long, but it's funny because I've been reviewing builder budgets this week and one of them like slashed their innovation budget to try new things. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why aren't we trying new things? So like to help them in all access, I'm actually going to put in the, if you had 20 grand, no questions asked any kind of marketing, like what, what inspires you? What's, what's different. And like, what, like, where would you go and not, and you're not allowed to be safe, like go weird with it. Well, it gives you permission to create a minimum viable audience that yeah. is defined by you and no one else. I mean, that's for those of you who don't know this line item in the budgets that we budgeting tool that we give builders is whoever, whoever typically has to ask for approval is who owns that line item. They don't have to ask for approval. It is just money that they get to iterate and try. Like even, um, we do this here. M Mike sends me um, expense uh, report slips for, for me on, on my credit card. And, you know, he's like, what's this for? And I'm like, innovation. We're trying something out. Like, yeah. So it's okay. It's just, you, you got to. It was like, everyone bought a drone. Like. Cause it was mm -hmm. hard to get them to commit. It's like, no, no, no. Like, or try to get a, you know, like, L but that was years ago. And now that's the standard of what needs yeah. to be included. So. Yep. So, and this year's standard, I'm just, I've said this a couple weeks ago, but I'll say it again. Cause I keep seeing a ton of videos on social networks with terrible audio. Mm. Get yourself a wireless lab mic that talk, connects to your phone, please for everyone's ears and attention spans. Cause there's what you, you watch or try to watch something with terrible audio and you're like, I'm out. I'm just not, I can't hear what they're saying. I'm not that interested moving on. All right. Uh, current 
favorites, things we love, things we hate, things we love to hate. Uh, Julie, <laughs> I see yeah. you've put butter. All, all it says down. on there is butter. So I've always, because I'm cheap, y'all know this, have just bought the Walmart brand sticks of butter. But just recently, oh, wait, you're you're value oriented. You're not yes. cheap. I'm sorry. I'm value oriented. Yes. I like things that are affordable. So I've always bought like the off brand, whatever. I have discovered the Kerrygold pure Irish butter. Have y'all had mm -hmm. this? Yeah, I have it's so much better. Why did nobody tell me how much better it was? I was like, this is life changing. So if you're yeah. like me and you're buying the cheap Walmart brand butter, go buy the Kerrygold oh. Irish butter. I it's love so this much so much. It's so and one much of the reasons better. I love it is because it's going to make Jackie and I fight again for a second. <laughs> By Dan Ariely, predictably irrational, which is like 10 out of 10 on my book list. And every time I talk to Jackie about it, she's like, is all right. It's like five out of 10 is okay. But in that book, he talks about the fact that Kerrygold butter is probably better, has better ingredients, grass-fed cows, all the rest. But more importantly, what it has is the story of all those things and the presentation and packaging, right? The, the size of the bar is different. It's got a different kind of wrapper around it. The packaging looks like someone actually gave a damn about it and like mm -hmm. wanted it to look, look good. And all those things add up to truly tasting better, even though chemically, they shouldn't make a difference. The experience of the butter itself makes it truly in your brain chemically taste better. Yeah. I've seen the I experiments with restaurants. They serve the same exact thing, but they like the plates are different and the cups are different mm -hmm. and people have mm -hmm. different values associated with it. So, yeah. so, so how much does Kerrygold butter. butter cost, Julie? Do you know? I don't know. Like exactly. Cause it doesn't matter. It's incomparable. Things. No, you, you did it perfect. <laughs> you can't, there's no way to know. Like when you're comparing that butter to another butter, because everything is slightly different, including the story and the packaging, mm -hmm. you don't feel ripped off because it's incomparable. It's no, a totally it's different thing. It's worth it. It's worth it. Everybody go get some Kerrygold. <laughs> I think um, for those of you who do bulletproof coffee, which I went through that phase for a little bit, but that's you, you put some of Kerrygold butter in your coffee. If you've ever done bulletproof. Yeah. It's supposed yeah. to be good for your brain. They say. Ah. <laughs> That's, that's, that marketing's got you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jackie, what do you got? Uh, my, mine is the last book I read on maternity leave, Hidden Potential by Adam Grant. And I would say that if anyone's looking for just a new read or um, sneak into the end of the year, beginning of the year, it's, it's a very, it's not overly long. And I feel like he condenses the book very well to give good action items. And Hidden Potential is more about like just understanding one, you know, like just cause you're mid thirties doesn't mean your life's over, but also like how to talk to teams. And he just gives a lot of really great examples of assumptions people make and then things that are actually happening. And, and one of them is talking about how, um, usually the people who are best at the jobs, aren't the people who are the smartest at their jobs. It's the people who don't think they're the smartest and try the hardest. And so it, it just, and then talks about like the best teachers sometimes are the people who are like one chapter ahead of you because they're panicking and then they teach you the best. So just understanding that too, for the people, I remember I talked to marketers and they're like, I have to talk to the sales team. I'm like, great, get uncomfortable. When you're uncomfortable, you learn. So I, I know you said it pretty often, Kevin too, like, um, that, that is the, yeah, the academy. Form. It's like, Hey everyone, we're going to like make you answer questions in front of your peers. Yeah. 
because that uncomfort, comfortable feeling that stress is the glue to memory. Yeah. And so I think going into that and going into like, I don't want to try new things, realizing that that there are ways to not trick yourself, but there are ways to just identify it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to try new things. And, um, he gives a lot of, a lot of great, good stories. So good book for the beginning of the year to, to set your standards high. And if anyone has a good book for the rest of the year, let me know. So I, I think I got over 30 books read this year, but now that my maternity leave is over, it'll probably be about five. This year. <laughs> so, I love it. Kevin. Um, one of my favorite things actually just happened today. Bryce, Bryce, uh, or as, as Jen Barkin calls her, Brycey. Brycey. <laughs> Don't call her Brycey. I'm pretty sure only Jen's allowed to do that. But but uh, our very own Bryce Baker made a post on LinkedIn that I, I thought was awesome. She said, today I overheard someone say, I'm going to push that to the new year. And it got me thinking, what does that mean? Why wait until the new year? Are you feeling defeated now? Do you believe a new year new you will be the perfect reset? Yeah. And this always hits me um, as a Christian on Easter, because I'm I'm always tempted to write this blog post of like, the new year can start any day. Like you can decide to change at any moment. There is absolutely nothing about January 1st, other than the fact that everyone else is talking about it and maybe gives you permission to, to dream a little bit more freely, but any day can be a reset day. Like today can be that reset day. And I thought that was really, really good. Uh, Really good insight there from Bryce. No, no reason to wait. Nothing's going to change tomorrow. Um, and then the other thing on my list is, um, do I want to talk about that? No, I don't. I'm going to hold that one back. It's a book that I just, I, I had to drive for four hours to go talk at an offsite this week uh, for one of our builders. And so I got to go. It's one of those magical things. I love doing it. Like I've always loved driving, but I, to be able to go on a trip and listen to an entire audiobook within that one trip, it's like better than a three-part movie series or like a mini series on Netflix. I just love being able to uh, to check that off and from a different perspective. So I'll share that maybe in a couple of weeks. It's a cliffhanger. Yeah, cliffhanger. All right, everyone. We're getting close. Uh, end of the year. I think next week we're going to have to have, whoever's on next week is going to have to have some type of top 10 list. Uh, so there you go. If you're on the podcast next week, you got homework. Sounds like a plan. We'll see you then. See you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Market Proof Marketing. Can't wait for the next one or looking to connect with other new home marketers? Become a member of our private community, DYC All Access, which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else, access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peak, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market proof.